0: Check it out right now at gitlatka.com Guys, 2007, he launched a tool for music festivals to manage their events in Canada called Mercado. By 2014, he was counting customers like Bonnaroo and Coachella, ultimately grew it to 2018 to 2 million bucks in ARR profitable, basically bootstrapped with 14 people, sold it for a 5 to 10x multiple, and then got into Carbide because he was frustrated with all the security protocols he had to do at his first company, Mercado. Now today, Carbide has raised a seed Sorry, a pre-seed, a seed. Uh, most recently that seed was in 2021. They broke 500k of ARR at that time, raised 4.1 million today, over 2 million in ARR targeting 3 million by end of Q3 and 4 million by the end of the year, already serving 190 customers, helping them do things like SOC 2 compliance, get expertise in the cyberspace, along with three very powerful feature sets and feature tiers. Hey folks, my guest today is Darren Gallup. He's the co founder and CEO of Carbide, a cybersecurity firm that provides businesses of all sizes with the tools they need to adopt a strong cybersecurity and privacy posture, enabling them to t- protect their data from cyber criminals, transform, transform security from a potential liability to competitive advantage, and accelerate their growth. Darren, you ready to take us to the top?
1: I'm ready to do it. Let's go.
0: Let's rock and roll here. So first things first, can you give a a story of maybe a customer that uses you today and and how they use you, their specific use case?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd say the majority of our customers have have pretty similar use cases. And usually what it is, is they're selling a product. A lot of times it's a SaaS, software as a service type product. They have some degree of confidential information. Maybe it's personal identifiable information, healthcare information, financial information, which are pretty common uh, classes. And um, they're selling to government, they're selling to enterprise, and they're being required to comply with a variety of cybersecurity best practices, standards, and frameworks. They may need uh, something like a SOC 2 audit or an ISO 27001 audit. And more so nowadays, we're seeing on top of those requirements, they're getting requested to comply with various different data privacy regulations uh, things that are in Europe, like the big ones like Europe's D- D- GDPR, but also we're seeing a lot of these state-based privacy acts coming up. And that's that's really what customers are using us for. They're coming in, they don't have a sophisticated enterprise-grade security program in their SMB, uh, and they're using our platform and their resources within that platform to build and to manage that program and then effectively report that and demonstrate trust to their customers.
0: So just to be clear, I mean, there's companies like Vanta, obviously, that help with SOC two compliance. It's sort of easy, but that's like all they do. Is that what you guys are competing against, or are you a sort of more more vertically integrated SaaS?
1: Now, I would say that in you know we definitely do end up competing with Vanta in in, in the SOC two example, uh, where we generally focus our energy and where we have more uh, you know success with customers is when their their needs are more complex than just simply getting a very fast and dirty audit uh for soc 2 uh, it's when they have more multi compliant environments or they're just being re- they're, they're being required to do more above and beyond uh, the simplicity of a soc 2 for example
0: okay and so with all that in mind i sort of think of you as an enterprise version of vanta based on what you just said what's the average customer paying you per month or per year to use your technology
1: yeah it ranges anywhere from 7500 to about $30,000 Um, We do have an enterprise grade package that can, that can climb north of that substantially, but we're still working primarily with SMBs. Like we have a lot of customers that are as small as 20, 30, 40 employees. We have, you know, uh, I'd say the bulk of them are probably more like 100, 150, 250. That's where we see a lot of, uh, a lot more, but we have tons of smaller customers that just because of the nature and complexity of what they're doing and the types of customers they have, they need something more complex. They need something more rounded in their, in their security program
0: what are the pricing axes that you're upselling against? Is it number, you just mentioned FTEs, is it feature-based upselling or some utility-based upsell?
1: There's a little bit of both. So there's definitely a feature. There's like three tiers when it comes to features. There's also a a layer that we can put on uh, top of our plans that provides expertise. So a heightened degree of expertise. I'm not talking about just standard customer success people, but Having access to information security and data privacy expertise, uh, running workshops, some upskilling to your team—that is a, a premium feature. But yeah, it, it, we do have our tiers; they're, they're feature-based. And then for our more our larger businesses, we do have a, a per customer sort of buckets um that that sort of get involved we do our when we do deals with companies that are say four or five hundred six hundred employees um they're paying a little bit more because of the volume of people and, and that are integrating with the and, and interacting okay, so with I, the tool i
0: didn't hear you say anything that was necessarily utility based up so i heard three feature buckets they can pay for services in the form of experts heightened expertise and then lastly you said three four five hundred employees so just to be clear is there any n- numerical based upsell that is not a seat based? for example number of API calls per month, number of reports done per quarter, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, now that we're starting to launch a lot of stuff that's integrating with, with AI, um, there are some thresholds that are bucketed into those tiers right now. Uh, I expect there'll be some more stuff like what you're re- referring to as we launch more and more of our AI-based be- features because there are sort of per-quota token costs associated with that. So I would expect that we'll start rolling out more of that type of stuff as we start rolling out more of our AI-based features over the coming months.
0: Okay. And Darren, give me more of the backstory here. What year did you launch the company?
1: Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Um, my, My background is actually in music. Uh, I used to be a professional musician in my 20s, and then I started a record label, and then that uh, that kind of was a bit of a tough go in 2007, so I started my first SaaS company, which was a back-end logistics management platform for music festivals and cultural events, and we started off with a lot of smaller town sort of you know, Canadian events, and then eventually we ended up working with some of the biggest music festivals in the world. So uh, by 2014, 2015, we were, the, we were the back-end tools for Bonnaroo, Coachella, Burning Man, Just for Laughs Festival, X Games, like just a pile of really massive revenue events in several different countries. What was
0: 2014 revenue on that music business, that music SaaS business?
1: Uh, revenue at that business. We sold that business in 2018. It was, it was just over $2 million ARR. Um, it's when a pretty niche product, into- right? Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, so from two thousand seven to twenty eighteen, you grew it from zero to two million in revenue, and then you sold it in twenty
1: eighteen. Yeah, it was a profitable company at two, at, at a little over two million dollars in an ARR. Uh, small team, like there's fourteen people. Uh, we had like three hundred events around the world that use some form of the platform, and uh, we sold that in twenty eighteen. And that was really what got me into security because we were finding that. Later in the life of that company, as we started working with more corporate-owned events, like you know properties owned by Disney and Live Nation and AG Live and organizations like that, we were putting through. We were starting to get put through pretty rigorous su- cybersecurity assessments, and then data privacy elements were starting to come about with things like GDPR and. And whatnot. So, um, you know, that just became a really big focus of my energy in the last couple of years of that business, like keeping the company compliant and keeping the company trustworthy on that security front. Uh, So it kind of forced me to get pretty knowledgeable about the topic. And and I ended up doing doing a couple of courses and it did a CISSP by the end certification, did a a privacy certification as well. And just out of that journey, I started looking around and be like, oh, man, this is going to be like a big problem for a lot of companies. This is going to be a really fascinating transition where, you know, historically people were kind of like make things fast and break them. And there wasn't really a lot of sophistication around looking at startups from a security uh, trust perspective. But that certainly really, you know, the, the needle on that turned really quickly.
0: And that company was called a uh, Mercado, I believe, correct?
1: That is correct, yeah. Now,
0: you move past this, you immediately go into carbide and cybersecurity like quick, almost like, you almost almost the way you say it, it's like, you want to move on so quickly, it makes me feel like you feel like it's a weak story that it took you that long to 2 million in AR bootstrap. But I love the fact that it's a $2 million bootstrap profitable software company with 14 employees i mean that is like the new american dream it's just people don't celebrate that so i want you to know i love that story i think that's fantastic um did you what else did you learn sort of you're you're doing something very different now because you've raised a bunch of ec right so when you compare Mm. what you're doing now versus the good old days of bootstrap profitable no board do what you want how do you compare the two
1: yeah i mean if i were you know i i would there's pros and cons to both avenues right um you know, I think I like the bootstrap approach. I mean, you could sell the company, have a much smaller exit, but it could end up being just as big or just as good for yourself as like a much larger exit when you've got, you know, all kinds of different classes of pref shares and, you know, uh, some some venture debt and like, you know, all this kind of stuff sort of piled on all before you and your common shareholder sort of category. Right. So. Yeah. There's a lot of bullshit associated with, with, you know, you get a lot of people in your business and, and, you know, you can't really predict um, it, It's really hard to predict how, how your, your board members and your venture investors are going to react to things both, you know, out there in the macro environment in your own sort of within your business, but also in their own world, what's going on with their fund and stuff like that. So, you know, it it becomes another thing to manage. Right. And like, you know, to be, I, I'm a, a big fan of focusing like i like building product solving problems and talking to customers so all the shit that you pile onto your business that's not that can be next can top. be tough right so yeah. it's yeah. extra right so you know i don't know like what do i do now ne- what am i going to do next uh, after carbide yeah i i think i'd probably start off a little bit more to the roots of my last company in the in the very bootstrapped sort of position and then you know maybe maybe look at capital later on like i'm always i'm always impressed you you know brought it up it's a we don't celebrate that enough everyone just celebrates oh some such and such raised 20 million dollars it's like well you know now they just signed some big checks they have to figure out how to cash in the next couple of years and a lot don't cash them you know so
0: (laughs) i know a lot of i know way more broke vc back founders than i know broke bootstrap founders let's just put it that way um so so before Moving to the carbide story in that launch, which I assume happened after 2018. Can you close that story out for us? Was it public what you sold for? Can you give us a range?
1: No, it wasn't, it wasn't public. It was, it was, it was confidential. It was private. It was true. Uh, it was a PE roll up uh, company that bought another company and then they, they had some big PE money rolled into it and they rolled up eight companies. And there was some pretty strict terms around disclosure of, of deal terms, um, you know, associated with that. But uh it, it was it was enough. It was now, now almost six
0: years ago or five years ago.
1: Yeah, that was twenty eight. That was late twenty eighteen. That that deal closed. I think it was October twenty
0: eighteen. You can't give a range. I mean, most private equity firms. You look at Vista's less, last couple of deals. I mean, you're you know, especially in twenty eighteen when the market was maybe hotter than it is today. I mean, folks were paying sort of five on the low end, some of those folks, and then maybe you know ten, eleven, twelve x on the high end. Were you sort of in that same range?
1: Yeah, you got it. Both that, that that kind of uh, game, right? So. You know, it was a life changing. It was a successful exit. Everybody that put money in got money back, and then some. Um, How much money like, it you had was been a, bootstrapped? It was pretty bootstrapped, but we did. We raised like some, some, uh, like some, a little bit of money. We had a, we had probably, you know, had a little bit of loans that we took, like some government grant money, some government funded loans, which is a really cool thing in Canada you can get some. Fairly uh, non-intrusive, non-dilutive capital put in your business. So, you know, all in all, we probably put about a million and a half into that business, okay. um, you know, over its over its time. But uh, you know, pre-bootstrapped apparently. Let's move,
0: down, let's move to the carbide story. This is running short on time here. So, you, you officially launched that company in twenty right away in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, so we were you know started working on it kind of while the acquisition was happening, um, and then you uh, know launched the product in twenty nineteen um you know did a pre-seed then a seed and uh you know we'll probably be doing a series a uh, in the when near future it, what
0: year was the pre-seed
1: pre-seed was 2019 the year of the launch
0: okay and what break standard there one to two million raise, something like that
1: you got it you got okay. it yeah
0: okay. cool and then you did uh and i guess why did you you just made a bunch of money why go out and sell 15 20 percent of your company on day one to, for, for a million bucks i assume you could have self-funded
1: yeah, but you know, I, I also had other personal projects and other things I wanted to self fund.
0: Okay, I um, see. You know, and then you moved forward to do the seed round. When was that?
1: That was in twenty twenty one.
0: Okay, twenty twenty one. And what kind of traction did you need to show, sort of, in that round to make sure it was a competitive round on terms that you liked, without being super dilutive and a lot of negative backfill terms?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were we were we were shy of a half a million in ARR. So um, you know, I think what what helped us though is that the space was pretty hot
0: yeah um yeah yeah I was sorry. I just got your events business mixed up with what your current currently going going, and events in twenty twenty one were were not hot, so you sold the yeah events.
1: pretty <laughs> glad pretty pretty stoked to get out when we got out, to say the least, yeah
0: so you do the, <laughs> and How much was the seed for
1: four point one,
0: okay, four point one, and then what was the thesis when you raised that money, you said, we want to use this money for x.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really double down on, you know, build out a sales team, bring in, bring in a leadership team. Like it was really just my co-founder and I kind of spinning plates, building mm-hmm. the business. So we wanted to bring in, you know, a, a leadership team, some some VPs to run de- departments, sort of formalize the business, um, put, a, put some more energy behind sales and market and, and put some more energy behind building out our product, right? Because we were still so pretty what, early. What are, what's the
0: full-time team size today then?
1: Yeah, 34 folks on the team right now.
0: Wow, and that's up from what in 2021 when you did that round?
1: I like got about 16 or 17, okay. probably something like that. Yeah. All right. So
0: you've definitely. You've definitely made some hires there. So, uh, and so sorry, pre-seed, seed, and you have not done a Series A yet.
1: We have not done a Series A. We are uh, inter- we're we're starting conversations right now, and hopefully, we'll uh, you know be talking about term sheets in July.
0: Well, why now? Why now? I mean, many would say. I mean, some people would hear this podcast and go, man, Darren must really need the money because no one is raising equity right now because the market is so compressed. Now would be the last time you'd want to raise yeah. equity. As-
1: yeah, you know what happens when everybody thinks that there's a really bad time to do something? It can, it can surprisingly be a really good time to do something. So, you know, what, what I see out there, if you look at the venture market, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of venture there's a lot of dry powder. There's a lot of firms sitting on money. So when you have a company, like there's a lot of companies that are flatlining right now. They're really struggling to hit their targets. So if you are, like for us, for example, we're 105 percent on target so far this year. So that's in a rough time. Now we've been somewhat conservative looking at the situation in the macro environment to, yeah, you can to be make attainable I I targets. Conservative goals, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, you know, but sometimes you know, investors are investment isn't always magic, right? Like it's a lot of. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of sort of, you know, looking at America's looking at opportunities like right now, we're still closing a lot of new business month over month. Um, we've got, uh, you know, we've got different actions that are that are working, and we want to put more velocity behind it because it's working. So, you know, I, I think the the time to raise capital is when you have the ability to spend money and know that it's going to result in 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 revenue growth. Then, uh, you know, spending money makes sense. Now, we might get shit terms and decide, you know what, let's just keep boots. Let's just go more into boots. Let's st- stay in a more bootstrap mode like at the end of the day if we didn't do the series a we're we've got road to break you know, cash flow positive you know by by later oh, in the year
0: end of the year okay. that would
1: get it yeah it'd be like december january february you know in that range we'd be we'd be crossing over into that sort of uh, you know uh cash flow positive point so that's an option right so you know we're out there talking to people like sure we're not going to take a shit deal if we get a really if we get a reasonable deal, and, you know, it's, again, it comes down to like, well, is, are these terms and is this the solution in the end, is it worth the value of growth trajectory transition that we can apply to the business by executing the capital? Right.
0: Darren, before we wrap up, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. It makes tons of sense. Where are you today though, in terms of total customers actively using a platform?
1: Yeah, we got about 190 customers on our platform right now. One nine zero. Yep.
0: Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I mean, at that minimum, at that minimum, uh, acv you told me earlier i think you said 7500 bucks what would it be 1.5 million bucks of ar something north of that right now
1: it's quite a bit north of that um yeah it's uh, it's north to two so it's you know we're we're we're, we're we have eyesight on uh, on three in this quarter in this next quarter so uh, you know and that What's growth is, year has year been pretty
0: ago, you think you can break four or five million or no
1: be, be, be pretty much on the doorstep of four
0: okay okay and you're on track to do that you think you got it right All now right. we are That'll that'll be exciting if you do. Now, just to wrap us up here, you said, what would shit, now that we know more of the numbers, what would you consider shit terms?
1: Yeah, I mean, like when you start seeing things like 2x participating and stuff like that, I think those become, you know, and I'm hearing stories of people being sent these 2 and 3x participating sort of terms, which kind of remind me of the olden days before uh you know people you know the kind of invest the the company or founder friendly terms and standardization of terms started to, to to materialize you see some some terms like that so yeah they can be shit terms uh, other shit terms could be like
0: influence dilution though that just it treats that's how cash is treated at the end i mean when you think about dilution today it's obviously a function of valuation and money raised right so what would yeah. you consider shit percent of dilution for the stage your company's at and your growth
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think that that most good funds and, and good deals are still looking somewhere between 12 and 18%, some maybe 20% um, ownership in a round uh, of the Series A st- style round. So, you know, anything in that range is, is I, I think, acceptable.
0: Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, that makes a ton of sense. We're rooting for you. In the meantime, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, your favorite book.
1: Oh, man. That's just the moving target all the time. Are I don't got reading- one for you there. What am I reading now? I'm not really reading right now. I'm reading like a lot of, uh, a lot of our blogs and a lot of stuff like that and reading a lot of cyber, cyber standards because there's been a whole bunch of new regulations coming out and just trying to like figure out how we're going to, you know, start to figure out where the needle's going, right? So like All California's right. new privacy law, stuff like that.
0: Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? No. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the company?
1: My favorite online tool for building the company. Um, We use Asana a lot for for building out projects, planning. That's pretty, pretty important for us.
0: And number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: Between seven and nine.
0: And Darren, what's your situation? Married, single, kids?
1: Married, no kids.
0: Zero kiddos and how old are you? I am 48. Last question, something you wish you knew back when you were 20.
1: Oh, God, I could make a whole podcast about that. Um, Thing I wish I knew when I was 20. Um, Yeah, I mean, I probably wish I knew uh, how important it was to focus more time on customers and less time on uh, a lot of other things that can become distracting as you're building a business.
0: Guys, 2007, he launched a tool for music festival to manage their events in Canada called Mercado. By 2014, he was counting customers like Bonnaroo and Coachella, ultimately grew it to 2018 to $2 bucks in ARR profitable, basically bootstrapped with 14 people, sold it for a 5 to 10x multiple, and then got into Carbide because he was frustrated with all the security protocols he had to do at his first company, Mercado. Now today, Carbide has raised a seed sorry, a pre-seed, a seed. Uh, Most recently, that seed was in 2021. They broke 500k of ARR at that time, raised 4.1 million. Today, over 2 million in ARR, targeting 3 million by end of Q3 and 4 million by the end of the year, already serving 190 customers, helping them do things like SOC2 compliance, get expertise in the cyberspace, along with three very powerful feature sets and feature tiers. Darren, thanks for taking us to the top.
1: Thanks for having me.